Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Never overspoken. Ooh, so much to talk about. So little time on the national scale. We're talking about shooting down balloons, not one, but two. We've got a State of the Union. And then we've got all kinds of kerfuffles and bills passing to the state legislature. Buckle up, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another week I wish we had the bumper music two. for that Fifth Dimensions, Up, Up, and Away, My Beautiful Balloon. Remember Do that you, song? You think yeah. that's like a pump-up song yeah. for you? No, it's just, uh, it's so fitting for the Chinese. And yeah, it feels too slow for me for it this. It does. Oh, it's, it's, a yeah. little, beautiful balloon. it's a little breezy. Yeah. yeah. But, it is but a, they love their balloons. Yes, you, they do. As of today, yet another another one's coming. Although this across. is a weird week. We're coming in. We record at 2.30 in the afternoon on Friday afternoon. So just a couple hours ago, the Pentagon saying they shot down another balloon, but not necessarily Chinese and smaller. This was only the size of a car, mm-hmm. not bigger than yeah. the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> it's some kid and, and like, his dad. What is happening? <laughs> Well, the fact that they're shooting it down in Alaska, I don't care what they say about it floating from uh, Idaho all the way across the East Coast. They they want to get it earlier than later. I think that's an admission that maybe they should have got to this thing sooner right, than later. It's not. It it's makes a, me wonder, of course it is. do we always have things like this and, yes. and only because no, a Montana not. farmer saw it and I, then the NBC station no, reported I'm telling that we're you, talking they, about it? There's and, no way. It's too much of a threat. You can't have something that big floating all over our country. There's I no way. I think this is the biggest made-up controversy in the history oh my of made-up controversies. You, well, you are then you are unshockable because they, that could have <laughs> dropped anything. That could have that right. could have dropped I mean, anything on us. It's not like we didn't know. It's not like everyone's making this mm, big deal I don't about think like they what knew. did we know? I honestly they don't were, think they knew. Really? So you don't think the United States of America, who spends more money on defense than one any would, other nation listen, in the history hope, of civilization, one would hope doesn't notice when an adversary crosses giant our thing comes oh, across. Please. Is evidence how, that they didn't how know. How the Republicans, who can be so hawkish oh, and pro-military, you are like, can excuse. I anything wonder if Ma and Pa can, saw this. You got this giant balloon, and you're just gonna go, no, "Oh, nothing saying, to see here, folks. Move I'm along." I'm just saying it was it's handled. It's just intercepting all our communications. It's I'm the just size saying of, it was handled. I'm just saying what? the audacity of every like <laughs> Barco uh, lounger Joe sitting there this thinking is the he hill knew you more about on. intelligence. We're, we're supposed to go through these right. topics quickly. This is the hill you want to fight on. I really? just think it's crazy. I think it's weird. We should that be I think as Americans appalled that, uh, that China had this giant balloon across our whole country. Briefings, I think but they don't let people like us have classified briefings. And I do want to mention that yesterday <laughs> the senators finally did because I think they were yeah. waiting to want to know more information. And um, all the Republicans left that Senate uh, classified briefing saying they should have shot it down when it was in Alaska or over the Aleutian Islands or before, except for Senator Romney, who came (laughs) out and agreed and said, um, I'll read what he um, said. He said, I believe that the administration, the president, our military and intelligence agencies acted skillfully with care. At the same time, their capabilities are extraordinarily impressive. He says, was everything done 100% correctly? Probably not. On the flip side, Senator Mike Lee had like a four-part tweet, which I'm not going to read the entire thing to you. But um, his based Mike Lee um, Twitter account, he has a little fun with that. 
The question is, did he have too much fun? Because some people are not pleased about the final tweet where he says, like O.J. Simpson's Ford Bronco, the balloon moved slowly <laughs> and was given an unusually wide berth before it was eventually stopped. Like th- the Bronco, the balloon was white. I think that's hilarious. Um, so you think it's funny? It's not making fun no, of a come on. But I mean, I think in the interest of if, if Mara can't even be concerned about the balloon, we can't be concerned about the concern. joke of the of I, the balloon. I think that in the interest of time, Mitt Romney represented my point of view, no, and and Mike Lee represented yours. Were you no, offended no, by actually, Mike Lee's tweets? Yeah. Do you feel like he crossed a line with the white Bronco? I just think it's never a good idea for Mike Lee to be funny. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Slow moving, wide berth, white. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Here's I the mean, thing. Here's he, what I think Mitt Romney's Mr. really Based doing. Mr. Based Mike Lee for real, for real is just not my jam. He's just he's not street. I, so you would not go to his stand-up comic show. Let's say I'm if he not decided going to, to switch his career. Comic show. He I can either be Mr. Constitution or not. But like, I don't think. Don't I don't even think Mitt Romney liked what he heard. But I think Mitt Romney was trying don't, to convey. You don't get. I get, you don't I can get do a Vulcan to, mind meld anytime no, I want. No, here it is. I'm kay? just saying. Mike, I'm putting my thoughts into his thoughts. His thoughts into mine. I'm doing the Vulcan mind meld. Here's what he did. He came out of there. And he did not want to project weakness to our enemies and oh, to other please. countries. So he wanted to say, yeah, this was this was great. We're extraordinary. We do everything right so that there was a, at least a bipartisan tone that America is strong and don't mess with us. That's what I think he tried I to thought do. He Somebody messed well. again, though. We had another balloon today, did, guys. But I'm on, I'm on I Team I know, Romney but we stopped here. it earlier than later this time. Okay, so, that's always so I want to see which teams you're on this one because Senator Romney and Lee are having banner weeks for capturing yeah, okay. headlines across the country. So we have the State of the Union, which was interesting in and of itself. Um, there were some high moments. There were some low moments. But there was specifically, I think, what really people left talking about was the fight over Social Security, where President Biden, oh, Greg is showing us the picture of Senator Lee. So uh, Biden said, you know, all Republicans essentially want to get rid of Social Security. Then Republicans boo and hiss. And then there's a little back and forth between them. Then he's like, OK, I'll send receipts. You know, let me know. Yeah. And uh, during this, of course, whoever's on the cameras gets a great cutaway shot of Senator Mike Lee looking offended by it. Shocked. I think it's even shocked. Like, yeah, incredulous. Shocked. Maybe yes. a little gassy. Even. I did ask him about, <laughs> a gassy. I did ask him about it, and he says, I'm not good at controlling my facial expressions. They just are. My face expresses and reacts to things. So the interesting part after all of this, I didn't even think about it, and I guess um, shame on me because I interviewed uh, Senator Mike Lee, and um, after the event, I was talking to him about the issues in Social Security, but the next morning everyone was playing the video of Senator Mike Lee from his first run, I believe, for Senate in 2010, where he was with a group campaigning and saying that he wanted to get rid of Social Security, pull it up by its roots. Uh, he released a longer portion of that video where it talks about, you know, we've got to phase it out, pay the people who need the money, but we've got to move on. Is it fair, Mara, that people are like, see, uh, Republicans, Mike Lee, want to get rid of Social Security, or can he change his mind over the last 13 years and he hasn't acted on it so so, so I'm going to make several general observations. One, it was interesting, as I read both the press, um, the Republican press really centered on the negative parts of Biden's speech, of which there were, the contrasting mm-hmm. parts, yeah. and which he was, you know, intentionally sort of digging, for sure. It wasn't... It wasn't thank you for noting. Yeah, I did. Yes. Thank you. And then very the mainstream media focused really on the other parts, which were very bar- bipartisan. So one thing that was interesting is there were both of them, and it was just which speech you decided to listen to, I think, because, again, in America, if you read broadly in the newspapers, they're almost different accounts of the same event. Um, the barbs, I, I wish we would stop 
right? I wish we would stop the barbs. I wish I we do could think, stop the clapping too. I want no more clapping or ovations. I yeah. just want the president to talk well, and sell us or whatever do it he's in, got. Sorry, the, yell, the random yelling just is so not worthy. It's not that you shouldn't disagree, but the other thing- It's like thing, we're parliament now. The other thing we yeah. forget is that there is an official Republican response. And the official Republican's response was kind of zingy, actually. Mm-hmm. She went she really did. in. So there's a little bit of hardship there. And and I think Greg would agree that if it was a Republican uh, president and a Democratic response, it would be the same, right? I'm, I'm not suggesting yeah. that one party the other. But where it's hard to not just see it's all made up theater is that if you're Lee and you are one, I do think he has said this openly, but shame on Biden for picking these singular one-off incidences and making them Republican. Shame on him for doing that. But Lee and his wrapped in righteousness, how dare he, and then says nothing about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who like took noble aim. Like she went zing to the zing. So my point is they're all a mess and none of them get credit anymore. I mean, I yeah, wish Biden I, would have taken the high the road state, the whole time. The state of the union is not what it used to be. Okay. And, and we, I remember when the state uh, of Congress isn't what it used correct. to be. Correct. Well, yeah, the state Can of the union, Can we ever go speech, back to the question? But look, when, when president Obama, I remember when the guy yelled out oh, liar and I, and I didn't like it at the time it was beneath that, that important, you know, joint session of Congress to hear the president uh, talk about the State of the Union. What evoked, what evoked that comment was he said, if you, if you have your, I think it was something about Obamacare. If you, if you yeah. have your doctor, you like your doctor, you get to keep your doctor, and someone yelled liar. That's about as harsh or as part, that was about as out there, I think, as President Obama went where someone recoiled. In this speech, and why I think it was actually meant to, to get the Republicans riled up, is it there was a number of things that he was saying over as that speech continued and then i have heard democrats particularly in the in the swing states and in some of these critical elections saying that republicans want to they want to scale back your social security they want to cut back he said they want to that republicans want to sunset sunset and social social security medicaid medicare it is it is such it, it, there's it was a bait. I don't know how you couldn't just physically, by reflex, throw your head back at such a comment because it is not the sentiment. It's not what they debate about. It's not what. So I will say that. How about that, the governor? Like, what, what's the accountability I, with her and the name? That's calling. after it's all happened. I don't even know how they would be able to weigh that, Mara. What she says afterwards. No, no, I agree. With I'm the not real saying she should experience. respond. I'm saying how can you say it is unacceptable? I agree with you. It's unacceptable and not worthy of the office to have these included, and then be okay when your party does the same thing. Well, I'll tell you, I I didn't find hers to be as outlandish. I thought she was actually very accurate. I mean, she called names and stuff. She actually used names. I didn't watch the – to be fair, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just saw clips like everybody else does. But um, but here's the thing. That's after this whole thing's over. It is just becoming bad theater. It's not even – it's not even – fun theater or interesting theater. It's bad theater. If you're going to just, it would be like saying, I want to work with my Republicans, even though they club baby seals. Okay. I mean, come on. It's just getting too out yeah, there. It's a you got a real housewife. It's yeah. I just can't take, and I think it, it, it is the way those things were said. I cannot imagine it wasn't to, to draw that kind of reaction. And but then I mean, they the, could use it to say, look how unstatesmanlike they are. I mean, even the Deseret News said, oh, look how they acted that day. The preponderance was of his speech was actually bipartisan. But to what I hear of what you're saying is 
you can't hear that when people are using Correct. the triggers. And Correct. I, and I get and it, that. And, it was, and they were especially over the top, I thought. I mean, But what's but, interesting is I didn't think so. I was like, oh, that was a nice bipartisan street. So, but that's where we all are. We're hearing yes. only right now well, what we want to hear. And I, it was actually, I couldn't, I tried to listen to, to it. We to hear the stuff we want to hear. I tried to listen to it, and I just couldn't. I knew there would be enough recaps like for and I didn't just go to conservative sites I went to look at what the recaps were from That's very responsible from across the the regime media and then the media that tells the truth I looked at them all well yeah. we have to talk about Senator Romney before we move on to local politics but uh he was making headlines himself even before the state of the union started and some people are saying you know I'm glad that we have Senator Mitt Romney to lay down the law and be the conscience sure. of this body and other people are like that was inappropriate too so Senator Romney um if you saw him they always have the cameras before the state of the union and you've got to be watching C-SPAN or you know the cable networks to see the the pre-show as people right. are coming in and fist bumping and uh, shaking hands, but Senator Romney comes in, and I doubt he knew that Santos was going to be there, but Santos had chosen a prime spot right where the president would walk in and everyone else, and Senator Romney used that moment to um, let Santos know that he did not think he belonged in that chamber. A lot of people were hoping to lip-read and figure out exactly what he was saying. Uh, Senator Romney talked about it afterwards, and it was like, yeah, I just don't think he belongs, and it is what it is. Greg, is it okay to do that, or is it still maybe he should have done that in the halls when he There's saw him on another day, wrong time, wrong place, or a good message, two, this guy's a liar, liar, pants on fire, why is he inside of our chamber? Two takeaways for me. One is there's always room for righteous indignation and finger-wagging and telling someone to get to the back of the room if the left of center likes what you're saying. If you're the right of center and they don't like what you're saying, then it's a decorum issue and you shouldn't be doing it. It's just an easy... Are you defending one is, Santos? One is... I'm not... This is, not, this is a... This is a... Mitt Romney can get away with doing oh. something that if the right does it, they're, they're not oh, being uh, statesmen, so but if he does it... But if he does it, oh, he's just calling it like it is. So he's the not other the right is, is what you're saying? He's not on the right. So... Okay. That's why the leftists love it because he's one of them. So there's nothing he can say so or shout or yell. So you have a 99% voting record with Trump. You're not on the right. Uh, no, you're okay. not. So okay. uh, I think it so, might only be like Trump, 90. So but, Trump, is, Trump, Trump is left. <laughs> well, you can make your own decision about whether he's a radical <laughs> rightist or not, or right wing. I, I do not. I don't find him over there. So, but the other issue is, of all the people, I want to know from Pierre Delecto what it is about Santos. Is it who he tried to be? Is it how many times he tried to be someone else? Is it what is it that made Santos so – gave him the moral high ground to tell him to get into the back of that chamber when he himself has been caught uniquely pretending to be someone he's not? His Pierre Delecto Twitter handle that he defended Mitt Romney to the media on and went after Senator Rubio on because he thought he was anonymous as Pierre, that's – how does he, of all people, get to be the one that's so offended and tell someone to get out of there? I just think it's – again, I just find it – not consistent. I would be, I'm going to be a little harsh, Greg. I would be ashamed of anyone defending this. I'm not. You didn't hear me use his name. I'm not. I'm saying the person saying it isn't a person that has has the high ground. He has a unique set that actually Republicans and Democrats have said. I regret that he won that seat. I regret that he did. It's sad because that's a New York seat that the Republicans finally gained and they gained it with some guy that doesn't, he doesn't even seem sane to me. No, I don't think he is sane. And I think he's unique in that category. The question was about Mitt Romney. I know, but you just, you just spent five minutes saying what you always say, which is you hate Mitt Romney. No, he's not. He's kind of hypocritical. He's hypocritical. 
everyone is. Every politician lies. So like, okay. here's the thing. <laughs> well, that's a bad standard. We no, I mean, but like, okay, but that's the norm. Let's just go with that. We could, you and I could do, but what about on who told the truth? On just about everything. For everything is my point there. Yeah. I think the interesting, so it is intriguing. What I noticed of this, um, it was interesting that he did it. And it was interesting that he sort of brought it out. Like he didn't sweep it away. He almost made it yeah. uh, an issue or kept it going. But as most of our listeners probably know, the theater behind getting an aisle seat is interesting. You can't send a staffer. You have to go early. If you want those aisle seats, you have to go hours So he committed early. hard to this. Right, like he, and I mean, granted, he doesn't have any committee assignments. He has the time. But like he <laughs> got in there early and uh, in an interesting way, I think what you saw is Mitt Romney like reflexively responding, which I do think shows where the body is. I mean, I think... There's a little angst. The recoil there. About Santos and how peculiar he well, is. the fact that he'd I wait that long to have that seat, given all that's going on, person. is a bit, peculiar again, is a nice word. a bit off. Yeah. I did laugh out loud at um, Santos' interview the next day, though, when he <laughs> said it wasn't very Mormon of him. I did think that was funny. That was, I laughed, and I thought, was that an inappropriate laugh? But it did make me Why laugh. You, she's, look, she's talking about Romney. This isn't about Romney, remember? I'm not allowed to talk about She doesn't him. hate Romney like you do. Well, I'm just saying, I'm anyone. answering the question about Romney. That's all. Okay, I have. A, we have to move on now because Go. we've got to talk local politics. But I do need to make a mention that former Vice President Pence is making headlines himself right now. Yesterday, he was formally um, served his subpoena in the President Trump investigation from the DOJ. And then today we find out in all the whataboutism that he has another classified document, apparently, that they missed when they were searching his home. So anyone, check your drawers. <laughs> The classified if documents. Every voter can now check quickly for quickly. the top secret. I secret think if they classifies. kept going... To past presidents, they would find other souvenirs and items that they I took like from they their did. office. Didn't they do a quick Mm-mm. checkaroo of? I know the weird thing to me so. is we can't discuss this at nauseum today, but they no. keep having private attorneys search their homes, and I'm like, if they're classified, why are they having these private yeah. attorneys do it? Because it's classified, and they shouldn't see it either. So, anyhow, there's a lot of secrets out there floating I guess around. You're just that looking knows. for the top. The problem is somebody made a big deal, something that wasn't a big deal before, and now it's a big deal. So now they have to pretend it's a big deal going back. I used to. This is an aside, and I know we're in a hurry, but what I did a congressional campaign years ago, and we had this guy who was super intense organizing, and he bought these dark folders, these dark red folders, and he he sort of announced to everybody that this was really sensitive, top secret stuff. Nice. But then he'd keep them out and filed all over Just the to place. see if people would look in them? I don't know what it was. I, I'm going to have to maybe think a little bit more about what was going on in his head. I know, because I'm like, was this like some weird game with people, or did he feel like they were important? Yeah, and it was a little weird. I mean, it seemed a little overdone for a congressional race, but anyway. Whose congressional race? Tell, tell. DEFCON 3. <laughs> you know, it was a it was a, ni- a mighty challenger who was in the old 3rd Congressional. Owens? Um, with No, no, this was in the... 90s. Um, And so it was a a single Clinton appointee, uh, single Jewish man, and we bumped performance 13% that race. Boom. Not to be confused with winning, but... Maybe those red folders <laughs> really gave you it that was. extra... I think yes. it did. I think it put us over the top. All right. Well, uh, we are over the top or over the hill or halfway through the legislative session here in the great state of Utah. A gorgeous day out there. Sunshine, blue skies. Um, before we get to some of the bills that are passing and what's going on, there is a lot of drama going on. And I've been so busy covering my own stories this week that I apparently missed the drama of a firing of a staffer. So I'm going to let you guys tell the stories of what you're hearing behind the scenes because 
it is creating a little drama when we're trying to pass important issues and bills and talk about the matters that happen to the great state of Utah. Mara, do you want to give us a little yeah, backstory so on this? This is hallway talk, right? Mm. This is what, yeah, this 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 is is what people in the hallway the are talking. Heard on the hill. The Tribune has uh, reported on it. Gerke had an article this morning, I think, er, shot. Oh, Gerke shot, shot did? Shots had sorry, both Gerke had a, had a uh, opinion piece on it. Okay. But it's about the firing of a Senate staffer. In this mm. case, it was a Democratic Senate staffer. The Democrats have two staffers. They fired the one, so they have one. We were speaking te- technically the staff is all under the chief of staff for the Senate. So that would be a Republican. Yes. Um, but the usual course of order is that be it the president or the speaker, they would say to the Democrats, you choose your people and you govern your people by and large. So what was interesting about this is that the story came out around the first week and the trans bill and whether this staffer had facilitated something. I'm not going to spend too much time there, but that was sort of the premise of the Tribune's article in saying, did he get fired because he facilitated this? And boy, aren't the Republicans bad because they did this, blah, blah, blah. But then the rumor mill, so then the official statement was, we can't by the chief of staff for the Senate, we can't talk about things like this. But the rumor mill starts to say, nah, this guy was fired for cause, like a bunch of reasons. So my umbrage came as a liberal in which the Democrats said they have no comment about this. See, this is why you can't have nice things. And so you know. stop. I'm, I'm owning my stuff, Greg Hughes. I, so I. <laughs> so you feel like Democrats should have a comment. You have Even though to. you can't talk about HR, you could you say have to have this a was wrong or this was right. Here are your choices, Democrats. You might either say uh, we were a part of this decision and we stand by this decision and it was deliberate and thoughtful and we stand by it or your choice is to stand up and say, no, we weren't on board with this and this was our staffer and we want to change the system because you, it is your obligation for those of us who are watching those left of center. I just, the option is never no comment. So that was what I got whooped yeah, up about. Yeah, you're right. And I'm, I'm going to talk from a total, this is, really doesn't have anything to do with partisanship. Nothing. This right. has to do with how does the legislative body work? They have a majority caucus and a minority caucus, both in the House and Senate. And how does that work? What doesn't work is just being a spectator. We don't allow in our state, at least, the abstention of a vote. You can't abstain from a vote. If you're on the floor, the rule is you have to vote yay or nay. And when a decision is made on HR, I do agree with you. There, it isn't. You can't abstain from having an opinion. I don't have an opinion. No, you have to either, as you described, support it for reasons that you actually believe in, or if you think that it was done unfairly, you need to call it out. And that. So when we, when I was on the clock and I was uh, the speaker, I had chief of staff Greg Hartley, and he worked very closely with the minority house staff, but. We didn't hire the minority staff, even though technically the speaker's in charge and they make those decisions. You just had to give them your blessing, like yeah, you, check mark. So you could, the way it works is you have the ability to, to retain or fire, but you really, I at least, and I think the way it's worked is that the, the minority leader would actually handle the, their own staff and yeah. they would handle that. So if we had a problem, it would be myself and the minority leader and I'd say, hey, work this out. Because something's got to be done here if, if, if it that, rose to that level. And if that tradition has changed, I want to know that. And I need the minority to <laughs> if, stand up and say, like, hey, we don't want to do that anymore. We're just going to let them just decide no, no. everything or for us. Or if, in fact, the Republican chief is in, you know, imposing his will, 
I want to know that too. Correct. Because the one thing we do know is how important these staff members are. Yes. They're professionals, they're yep. area of experts, they are really making the trains run, and it's really important that people trust them and give them. And I'm speaking not at all to the merit of whether this. I, I have no idea whether he should. We want to know who we can be mad at. Yeah, but you cannot say no comment. Well, you, with, who you can be frustrated with is you, you have a minority caucus in the Senate that's not step is not owning any of it, pro or you know for it or against it, and that's just a cop out. You can't do that. Well, and I mean, I'm not giving any credit points actually to the Republicans and how they've handled this either. Like nobody is really sort of controlling this situation, and I, and that's what makes me nervous as an observer. Neither neither team here is really doing a good job explaining. Please give us yeah. confidence. Please give us well, confidence. Well, you can't I, – I actually subscribe. You cannot discuss HR issues, but I think you, you'd have to be able to internally explain I'm not it asking to the point them to. where they stand by the decision or they don't. But, but I don't everyone think knows we're no an at-will work state. That's the stupidest thing to say. So, so that like, was a comment I think from you stand up and you say we have confidence. Yeah, I'm not asking to see his file. Yeah. I'm just asking to say whether it was a joint decision or a singular decision – or whether you're going to stand by the merit of this mm-hmm. or not. It is an at-will work state. We all know that. But that doesn't mean that's the conversation that you have as elected officials with your appointed staff during the session. I'm just, I'm wanting a higher bar from and people I'm just sorry that I, I like. This. I'm going to blame like the Twitter algorithm. I'm getting fed well, weird stuff a, on there lately. Maybe this is a tempest in a teapot. Maybe this is just all the rage up there on the oh, Capitol no, Hill, is, but nobody else really cares about this. This is a backroom conversation. That's yeah. why it's interesting I think this, this is inside baseball. It's 100%. More people are talking about the 85-year-old that was fired from, you know, the pacing in Walmart that was the greeter with the fun hats yeah. Yeah. because people relate to that. Not everyone relates to what goes on on Capitol Hill. It's important. I, I do think, though, that structural office that just that leadership structure and and how decisions are made this would be a this would be a departure from that all right let's talk about some of those decisions being made uh this week uh food tax has been up there again uh we had people rallying in support giving people a cookie if they said they would vote in favor of getting rid of the food tax a loaf of bread if you said no I would prefer the loaf of bread, so I'm not sure if that was like a... Yeah, that's actually a disincentive. Well, I guess it depends on if it's like good bread or not, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, where'd they get the bread? I don't know if we have so many questions, but there's actually (laughs) two bills right now, House Bill 172 from uh, Representative Rosemary Lesser of Ogden, and then House Bill 101, and this is a repeat um, from Representative Judy Weeks, uh, Rohner from West Valley City. She's pushed it before, but right now, Representative Mike Schultz is saying this is really something where we've got to talk about where the money goes from this food tax and if we can change it and then people will have to vote on it. So it seems to me, Greg, that nothing's going to be solved in this session. If people are wanting that food tax gone for their $9 eggs, well, right away, have to wait. But if they do have a, a constitutional amendment that changes how the, the sale, state sales tax and it would have that would actually also touch on how the state income tax would be spent because you're, you're kind of rearranging how you can all, allocate it's those all a dollars. It's yeah, and then put it in front of voters to see if they'd want that. That gives the room to be able to remove, or maybe it's tethered to removing the tax on food by giving bringing this proposal to the voters. That would be, I think, not only is it a, a move in the right direction to get rid of the sales tax on food, but putting it in our Constitution pretty much means it'll never change again. Because I, I came in the legislature where the state had tax on food. And then while I was serving, we took the state portion of sales tax off, off of food. And there's and the discussion and debates never really ended. I guess I mean we've, we're still talking about it today. So if you put it in a constitution, I think we're done here, so, which is a good thing. I think it's a good turn. So I mean, we started talking about the sales tax on food in earnest and in drafted legislation in the '80s. So like this is a reoccurrence. So it's been yes, happening for a few decades. Sadly, 
um, is that I'm not so sure it will be held if we're in the Constitution. One of the things I'm concerned about is that if you look at the past cycles, our legislature is really prone to changing our Constitution They right call now. themselves we, into session now. Well, and they constantly, pretty much every year now, but the legislature is defeated. putting some One things. One of their latest proposals was I'm defeated. just talking about the sheer volume, and, the, uh, and, and my mind is blown that this is coming from I'm going to start having to say so-called pretty soon, conservatives. But we are amending our Constitution pretty frequently. I'm surprised that voters say yes, though, because if I ever have a question and you're not sure, they're just like, sure. And I'm like, are you sure about that? They're passing by like 90%. The the last one they did where they wanted to be able to uh, move more budget money in special session, that failed. The people said no, which means that people are still reading these amendments. I am concerned that more and more we are saying let's amend our Constitution. I think if you do it more and more, people start to scrutinize it maybe a little closer. I hope so. But here's the other thing that I am worried about. uh, 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 One-off becoming a habit and a habit becoming a trend is this, sure, we'll quid pro quo legislation. We will... If you do this, we'll do this. This tethering, as you said in your comments. I'm a little concerned about from a policy aspect. I'm not speaking to the merit of the idea because I'm for part of this idea. But tethering generally held, if one is being really a stickler for good policy process, tethering is not a great process. This one is actually, you can't get away from it on this one because 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 we're so prescriptive on on where those sources go. How you do it matters, right? That's when the tether happens. When you narrow that that sales tax base even more, because you're narrowing it by exempting more things. You're choosing to tether. You you have to have other ways to address state concerns that you wouldn't have without a sales tax. I understand the relationship, but I do think these can be dealt with independently. I think it's worse, actually, Mara, if you say, I want to get rid of this all, and you don't know how you're supposed to pay for anything afterwards. I mean, I think this one's actually right. trying to no, be I'm more responsible. I'm not saying stay compartmentalized, but also I am saying that don't make them dependent. I mean, it really smacks of we'll do this if you'll do that. Because, uh, again, you could still figure out picture, funding. I mean, you're talking about a year that has surpluses everywhere. I understand the deficit, the structural deficit mm-hmm. between income. Uh, I, I do. I'm not confused by that. But you, but, but others don't. And you, that what you say, saying you can just get rid of it and you don't need to attach no, it no, to I'm anything, saying, is, is I'm not saying giving that. I'm saying they deserve independent exploration. And when you tether them, I but don't. But if you don't have way, if you sense. can't spend money, other tax revenue that comes in in the ways you need to, it okay. makes it very hard to, rent, to cut tax off. Right. So it makes it more acute and therefore probably easier to have that independent discussion. Well, let's talk about tough discussions because this was a a little surprise where everyone was working together. The conversion therapy bill passed with support of the LGBTQ allies, the Equality Utah. I cannot spit that out. My apologies. But um, it was interesting that what was done before wasn't really, I guess, permanent. It was kind of an administrative rule. And so uh, both sides came together and figured out a way to make this one happen. Is this how we should be doing it on the Hill? Is this a rare circumstance? I mean, so interesting that the Eagle Forum and Equality Utah were like, okay. Sat down at a table today together and shook hands. I think um, what Equality wanted was that the conversion bill um, didn't address some talk therapy. It addressed some physical, which is the most discredited form. And interestingly enough, the Eagle Forum read that to say, in their language, maybe that you could be proactive about encouraging a child to um, so, talk, yeah. explore their their sexuality. So, in an interesting way, pr- putting more legally prescriptive language around the conversations that therapists can have 
achieved both points. Okay, so with that said, I'm going to read what they sent out. Um, Who's they? Who's the Quality Utah, I believe. I think this. I think I forwarded you this email. You did. Um, hmm? I did, yeah. didn't I? I think so. I think it's from Troy. Um, anyway, it says that this bill, the bill that just passed, continues to prohibit the very dangerous practice of conversion therapy on minors, while providing greater f- clarification for Utah therapists. The bill makes clear the therapist may not try to change or impose a different sexual orientation or gender identity upon a minor client. So what's the difference between that and surgeries and chemical castrations of minors changing their identity and their gender? If we're saying, if he's saying in here right here that it's a very dangerous practice and we're not going to do this to minors on the conversion therapy, is it just how we're converting that we're worried about or should we just not be doing this to minors? Truly. no, I know you had this question. Yeah, I brought it before, you but did. now they now they put it in words. You did, but it's actually, and you're saying it, it's they're contradicting the themselves. The bill prohibits no, no, I, the I, very dangerous I, yeah. practice. The sound it, that sounds like you could you insert can't pray either or talk one therapy the gay away you could, guys you right. Could, and you could what they're going to say issues to that sentence you can't. So what they're saying <laughs> is that you cannot. You have to allow the the person to articulate their point of view. And what you would say about the medical bill is it's not allowing that exercise. The state has intervened on the medical bill and said the state will choose your medical treatment, not your family and yourself. This is saying, no, the therapist can't choose the point of view. The child has to. It it doesn't allow for this conversion therapy. The state is prohibiting this conversion therapy. Right, and the state prohibited um, that child from manifesting their desired so the state is prohibiting, you know, if they... If, what are, you're assuming that every kid that goes through this conversion therapy is doing it against their will. What if they want to do it? Conversion therapy is a very specific therapy in which you are... What if they don't want to be? What if they would love to be hetero? <laughs> what if they do? Well, what I if mean, it would... They look at life, they go, it would be a lot easier if I was. I think I wanted to go through that. So this what current that's bill what, allows for that. No, it does when you're 18. It allows for that conversation. It, does. it actually doesn't. It does. Okay. All right. Well, All you, right. if you read it, I'll. Well, I, there was some I don't agreement there. Um, signature gathering candidates could be eliminated at convention if the new House bill passes. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. House Bill three ninety three. Uh, so, to give an example, which everyone's using right now, is that if this bill were in place, it would essentially get rid of count my vote for elections like Senator Mike Lee's because. He went to convention. He got more than 70% of the vote at convention, and that means that uh, Becky Edwards or Ali Isom just would have been booted out of the race. He obviously won by a large margin, but do we really want to be getting rid of, Greg, um, the possibility that we have other voices and other options for people to vote for? I think that um, before we got to the signature gathering process, there was a count my vote asked the the convention convention republicans in their convention or delegates to agree to a 66 percent threshold and if they had the the signature gathering process wasn't going to move forward but they didn't and so this is what they did interesting since when when that bill was passed sb 54 and the signature gathering has taken place there hasn't been a single candidate uh that has received 70 percent of the delegate votes and and had a, a signature candidate that's ever lost to the signature candidate since this law has trevor come lee into would place. have he would have what? Lost to Steve Handy. At 70. Uh, he made it out of convention, but he would have lost. I, no, I think he got 60. But I, I mean, remember that Count My Vote was predicated on the Bob Bennett 
the Tea Party Bob Bennett. Well, I'm talking about dismissive. people that actually got signatures because yeah. Steve Handy didn't, and yeah. those that got and, and got 70% of the convention. In those circumstances where that took place, there has not been one candidate who who did not who got signatures and lost in a convention at 70% whoever won a, a primary. What was so, your percent in convention your last race? In my last yeah, race, just for 60 fun. Were you opposed? contested? Yeah. I, well, yeah, in 14, not in 16 Inner I was, but opposed? yeah, in 14 I was but not in 16. So, mm-hmm. in 14 I got 65% something like that. So, and you won in the primary. I didn't have a primary. I eliminated them. In, in convention. Oh, that was pre-count, my vote. Mm. It was. So, I mean, I'm going a step higher and speaking on behalf of not party Republicans and just saying that the success of Count My Vote, I think, has a really great track record. I think it's increased primaries, which I think increases choices within your own ideological spectrum. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes for more unusual candidates and it makes for... Increased. One of the things we've seen year after year is uh, votes atrophy. People participate less when they feel disenfranchised, or more importantly, they don't think their vote counts. And when it's predetermined in a general, which it by and large is in Utah, predetermined about which party will win, it really the battle for who you want representing you. And this is showing up a lot in the Republican Party, in which there are two or three distinct and clear ideologies that are existing in the Republicans, all of whom I think have have a case to be made. And I think Count My Vote provides for that format. Um, prior to this, 4,000 people of Republicans and 2,700 Democrats made these statewide decisions, and I just think the pool wasn't big enough. Count My Vote went into, um, it didn't disassemble the party system as the party people said it would. And in fact, in all the states that have this, it actually builds party brands because the brand becomes more competitive. You you need to I wear like your Republican options. flags. Yeah. And I, I think this is a very narrow group of specifically partisan to a party uh, Republicans. I think most mainstream Republicans say, no, I kind of like having more I, of a choice. I, I, think you're, I think you're overestimating how it's not easy to get 70%. I've never received 70% in a convention where I had another Republican running against I'm me. I'm preferring so the voter over the process. I think the 70% keeps that from being too radicalized because a candidate coming in and getting 30% plus one to be able to preserve their signatures and being on the ballot is not a hard hill to climb. Um, it's, it's very, very difficult to get 70% of any delegate pool. And to your point, it didn't dismantle the party. Uh, when we had this, but what we were told is that the delegates were just so crazy and radical and they just couldn't be trusted to have do this that we have to do something about it. Well, where there is such uniformity in terms of 70% or more of the delegates that choose a candidate, they're successful. That grassroots, those those delegates, that carries through to the elections and it hasn't changed the outcome of those elections if I they've got to heard. that high threshold. I think that threshold moderate. I mean, that is very, very high. It is not an easy number to get to. It I really haven't isn't. heard a compelling case for support in which this benefits the voter. I think that this is about party, and I think it's mm-hmm. about control, and I think the voter is well served by competitive I, I think what it, races. Well, I think one, one of the things it's meant to do, I think that if you get signatures and you just decide you're just going to not attend or be part of that that And signatures that are not election. easy to get either. They're expensive to get. They are they're expensive. hard to get. There is nobody other than maybe Spencer Cox who did it through a, a very efficient campaign or volunteer effort. Most people have to pay 
what was then, at least in 2020, 250000 to get a statewide. It's hard to do. It's You pay for those. Nobody's actually getting them. It's, it's hard, hard because it's expensive. But I, No, because it's say, really hard to do. Because out of no the two one, of us, who has done more you, signatures yes, in the great you, state of and Utah? And you know you didn't do them for free either. You know you had <laughs> to pay to get those signatures. I agree. Expensive and hard. We can use those two words together. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll say this, that that if you if this is meant to say, hey, if you got your signatures and you're in, don't don't leave or ignore that event, that caucus convention cycle. Participate in it. If you participate in it, and if Steve Handy had participated in it, you would have had yourself a primary. So get in there and I be part of that. I don't know of any candidate who like gives the bird to the caucus convention system. Um, I think that it allows that, for choice, and why anyone would want fewer choices on their primary ballot, particularly if you're a party help, who no. closes your system. I don't know what there is. If to you worry could show about. me where someone that gets someone that does not get. If a, if a, I like the right to throw away, weigh my vote and make a point of that's who I want. It's kind of nice. Greg, to your point, you just have the most momentum. <laughs> you could do that you, in November. You're, you're arguing for the victor, and I'm not interested I'm not, in I'm that. Not arguing so for your the point is if you get 70 percent, come into that caucus convention cycle and participate in that one as well. Right, and you and say it likely if you, is you won't get 70 percent. No one will get 70 percent. But if you're you saying if you get 70 percent, the odds of you're losing is nil. So I say go on, victor. I mean, like there's no harm. In fact, you get a new fundraising cycle for yourself. So there is no harm in... It's a waste in money. And I should be no... There's no hearing set for this. It's actually on the records. It's there, but hopefully... I actually, beyond this, I want runoffs. I, I hate plurality. I hope that there's that a bill that comes out vote. here that there's plurality. Gets, we get rid of plurality and we have a runoff like plural lives or something else. You need sh- two at the end. It should be noted that Count My Vote in response to the filing of this bill... Um, said that they would be game to have this fight in public. Mm, I think somebody, Just telling you what I they said. I think somebody took a trip up to this hill today to maybe change that story. But yeah, they mm. did, but their big donor bases didn't. I, maybe I'm not at liberty to say. Well, I know their donors, Greg, though. Why do we I'm have you guys saying, come in here if you can't tell us the secrets you know? She's the donor. I know. And she came to the Capitol to clear up that misconception. No, who Are we came talking up to the Capitol Miller? today? Who she came did. up to the Capitol? She did. Her representative from Count no, My Vote. She herself was there. I know, but she had count my vote, correct the record. So read I behind think, the lines I here. I just think that this has served the state really well, and we have more people interested in elections because of an open primary. It still will be. This, that, that threshold's hard to get. Let's talk about a failure this week. The proposal to give Utah tenants more notice of rent increases fails in a House committee. There was concern that maybe people would just um, – be out of a place to live anyways because people like Greg Hughes, who are the <laughs> landlord. I was going to say slumlord, slumlord. but that I was know you were going to say that. I, knew, landlord, I don't know how you didn't. That's wait for it. The, the landlord. Um, did you say, so from your point of view, because you have to do this, you know, rent sometimes has to go up to afford things. Do you feel like it would be fair for you to have to give a little more warning? There's some technical, you know how. Get yourself there's a side hustle. There's some unintended consequences. Sometimes there are properties that have fixed rents where they wait for the HUD numbers to come out uh they come out once a year how do yeah. you how do you const- how do you arrange your 90-day advance notice on a you find out within 30 days what you can charge in the next coming year i mean it's it's hard to implement in a lot of occasions that way i i don't have a problem on the 90 days on market rent ones if you if you know what's coming but there are some other variables on what you can charge for rent that the the property owner themselves might not know what those amounts are Makes until sense. a shorter time period than 90 days. But why take no steps to protect in the housing market we have and with the sort of, pred- not everyone, but some predatory 
um, rent increases. Why not at least, sort of what I, the rationale I hear you saying, why not do something? Like, they seem to just be killing well, these bills. Just do me a favor, because the little guy that might own some rental properties, yeah. their mortgage for that is, if they have debt on it, it's due what the first of right, the month. Right, but the mortgage so, is fixed, Greg. So, but what the I'm mortgage saying, is not. It might be, but it doesn't have any kind of 90-day. We don't. If you, right, but if you want fixed. some flexibility, have some flexibility in the whole system. I'm saying that, that when we had the whole, you don't have to pay rent, but you had landlords that still had to pay mortgages, what was supposed to happen there? What was that, what was that plan? Okay, I'm saying if you're going to have a moratorium on nobody has to pay rent, then there should be a, at the same time been a moratorium that you didn't have to make your, your monthly payments. Well, but then am I confused because these bills are not about not paying the rent. They're about a 90-day notice to rent increase. I'm just saying that if you're going to have – if you're looking at – you said, why can't we do something? I'm saying if you want to take a more holistic approach and say let's look at flexibility within this arrangement of people renting and people providing places to rent because we have a housing shortage, do it not one – don't pit one against the other. Find some holistic solutions where people right, on both sides of this are Right, but you just named a really good grappling. holistic solution. You said, yeah. hey, do it with market. So I'm just saying it was interesting to me in these hearings. They just died. Like, no one even made a go. No one tried to renegotiate. Yeah. No one made a go because they were siding with big, big, big I think part companies. of you know what I honestly think it is? And this is just me. I think it's too many uh, no, home I, builders. I think there's about, I think there's a ton elective. of, I think there's a ton of COVID money that came in for rent and rent programs. And I think there's a lot of trepidation right now where there's been so many years of rent that been covered by someone else other than the tenant. Are they going to pay? And are they going to pay on time? And so I think that that's on, that's weighing on people's mind. And then this comes in, looks like another accommodation when, there's already some people are worried that the past accommodations might cause I a. Just, I'm struggling an, an with the acuteness of housing prices. Look, I right ju- and now. I just told you too. And I don't care not, about 90 days on market rent. I'm telling you, I I don't have a problem with that. No, so that's I, why I I'm hear looking what you're at you and saying, yeah, I'm, I, I wish saying. your team would have stepped up a little yeah. bit more for the people. Yep. All right. Well, you win some, you lose some, Greg. This was a lose. Um, wow. But you would have won had you been there. I'm just, I'm agreeing with you. Um, on yeah, I just, uh, there are some things you can do there, but the bill as, as written would have been. I mean, but come on, it. like the, the lack of effort to get to a bill that was palatable is what the offense was. Final bill to talk about because people can only listen to us for so long. Right and early on Friday morning, okay. House Bill 247 went be, uh, before a committee. This is a law that would tighten the over-serving laws that we already have on the books here in the great state of Utah. Uh, This was brought forth by the family of Eli Mitchell. I will tell you that I do have friends in this game. So uh, my friends that I've had since fourth grade, uh, the Mitchell family lost their son, 13-year-old Eli Mitchell, in a DUI um, crash in West Jordan last spring. The driver had been at, I think it's called the Black Sheep Bar, drinking for hours on end, um, had left and within a minute of leaving the bar, um, hit and killed Eli. Uh, They've been working with UHP, with DPS. Uh, They had the Police Chiefs um, Association and even uh, district attorneys backing them on this bill. And it was the second version of it, so it looks like there's been some negotiations before it went and actually passed unanimously at a committee today where they talked to the Restaurant and Bar Association, which obviously has a dog in this fight, because they have to worry about how can we keep providing a place where people can come and have drinks, which is legal in the great state of Utah as well. So, um, Mara, when you look at this bill, we talk about unintended consequences are there any unintended consequences you see with something like this? This is obviously coming out of a tragedy. They're wanting to make sure that 
other families don't go through the same thing they do. Do you see this as something that will actually help and maybe make businesses think a little harder about how they're serving, or is it just too hard to control? I would like to see those who have been hurt and want to advocate for um, the unacceptability of drunk driving and DUIs focus on education and making it. I think that has what we've seen with equivalent problems to this, that has the most efficacy. And um, I, these complex structural ones that are essentially penalizing a third party through an insurance mechanism, I have um, less confidence that it will make a difference. But even I'm a little trepidatious because what I don't want to be dismissive of is the pain and the need to change something and the unacceptability. No, I mean, I'm serious. It's not acceptable that this happened. So it's hard to push back on a bill that is representing something that none of us want. But from my seat, this sort of lacks some policy chops um, for me to think it's going to make much change. Um, I've becoming more and more of complex laws, I think, work against purpose, not for purpose. And... I would like to challenge our legislators to who pretty habitually do DUI stuff. I mean, we're, we've been very concerned about it. I really think it's time to do more educational efforts and things that change behavior. So my... Because this doesn't target actually the person it, DUI. Well, it no, it doesn't target DUI, them, yeah. Where Mara doesn't put a lot, I mean, she thinks, thinks that. Hey, don't she, tell me. Just speak for you. Just okay. come from I was going to contrast it, but I'll just say just come from I think space. that insurance and how it impacts your insurance does compel behavior. I have home insurance. I have insurance on my properties. I have, I have a number of different insurance uh, policies. What they pay for, what, what I have to make a claim for, what my premiums will do if they go up or if I get canceled, all these things are on my mind. Maybe other people that's not, but. Having insurance for my business would be one of those things I would put as a high priority. So if there is enhanced penalties on over-serving and it can have the result of impacting your insurance and your ability to have insurance. And you felt like the rate raves was significant enough. I, I do. I think that I think that there will be – I think more attention will be paid and, and there will be more caution uh, given to not, not wanting to over-serve patrons, making sure how many drinks you've served or if you can visibly see that someone's getting impaired – you're not going to want to be responsible for that. You want to be very responsible for that. I, 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 I There's think already training we should note for that because within the state law um, establishments that serve alcohol, anyone who you hire has to go through a certain amount of training to understand what they should be looking for and what they're supposed to be doing. And obviously the, you're not a babysitter, but it's part of your job that I think at some point if someone's acting sloppy drunk that you keep don't keep. Which so currently exists in law. <laughs> so about yeah, 10 it years exists ago. already. But it sounds to me like this would give it some teeth because they yeah. already have investigations where DPS goes back and investigates, but they've yet to be able to figure out a way where they'd actually be able to charge anyone or prove anything because businesses can get rid of their videotape, their surveillance, or even their receipts or how much they've been serving. So I think this kind of says you can't throw stuff away so we can come back you, and check. You know what? I would. I ran a bill maybe 10, 11 years ago. Actually, yeah, uh, that uh, – I was told it had a complete consensus, which it didn't, uh, to require having uh, breathalyzers on site at these right. these clubs and these bars where you could actually test as a patron yourself Just to know yourself where you're at. Just yourself to know. And it was done, and I got pummeled for it, by the way. I got crushed like I was 
trying to impose my morals on everyone. What I was, what I, what and you were made, doing that in other bills, and not I, in this yeah, one. not on this one, but on <laughs> others, yes, not this one. I actually was told that this was something the industry wanted as kind of a speedometer for not speeding, you know, something that helps uh, patrons know where they're at. But uh, so the bill died because we didn't have consensus. But I've always, it always stuck with me that that we don't know, especially now that we've lowered Utah's blood alcohol content to 0.05, which is the lowest in the nation. It would be very difficult, depending on different variables, to know whether you're at that legal limit or not. Having a breathalyzer, a way to be able to know yourself, because I don't think anyone's malicious at heart. Nobody wants to get in that car and harm someone. But if they could actually measure themselves and know where they are, they'll learn from that. Put yourself and in then, timeout. Yeah, I just I think that's a there's and I know these companies exist. I know that there's machines that do this. I wish we saw them more because I think that that. Uh, would solve a lot of these problems because I don't think people – and the irony is as you're becoming inebriated, you probably are worse at making decisions or being able to see the situation for what it is. So I think if you had these machines or these this ability to test your own blood alcohol level, you could then call an Uber or you could find a different way to do it uh, to get home where you're not behind the wheel. And that would be a nice solution, I think. In there, and I don't know that government's going to mandate it, but I just think that, that it's smart that to do. Increasing your personal accountability is appealing because I do yeah. think that's a better. I think path it's. I, I don't want to mandate the, bathroom, the machines, but why not put them in there? Make the choice. Right. And I put mean, it, to be clear, the man who did this was habitual and irresponsible. So yeah, I, and four I, times I, over the legal limit, they believe. And so, I mean, sadly, he he sort of doesn't check the box for any level of probably even even compliance with any reasonable thing. So I, I want to point out that there are bad actors in this world. But I do think I tend to lean where you are, which is to say increase. I see that as educational, so to speak. Like get more aware of of how, you know, judging. It's, it's, it's in some ways the conversation of being more aware that texting and driving is a real distraction. Yeah, that's like, right. Have some serious awareness even of if the, impairment. Even if the, it was in the best interest of the of the establishment to have those because they know that they themselves, their liability could be at risk, to ha- just let the patrons be able to monitor themselves as well. Maybe it's there's something that compels them to want to have these. So one thing I here. think that deserves a shout-out on this whole issue is um, how well the family illustrated that individuals make a difference. So, I mean, you saw this firsthand. This was, they were really successful in being both compelling and authentic and connected and smart and doing it for the right reasons. And none of this would have happened had these two or three individuals said this matters. And I think yes, that's worth talking about. Well, I think that that's one of the cool things about having laws created in your own state is that you can see where there's problems and fix them, and you can go and talk to the legislative body and say, hey, is there anything we can do to fix it, which I think is a cool thing with how this works. And and luckily, we have a process where from idea or conception to law, it's not a long time. And you can you can make this happen, and it's uh, and it's hard at that this space particularly for those families and those people that came to the committee this morning. That is gut wrenching, and I I just I do appreciate yeah. that they did it. The president of Mothers Against Drunk Driving was there though, and he was using the example of I believe it was his son that was killed too, and that was in the early nineties. And he's mm-hmm. like, you know what, I've been Art doing Brown. yeah, I've been doing this you know for decades, and nothing's changed. And so I think people want to make change. And, you know, it keeps he's happening. He's selling himself short. He's been up there a long he time. He has been I doing a lot of work. very well. He's yeah. been doing a lot on that front. And it has, I believe, it has gotten better because of Art Brown's work. So he says nothing's changed, but he's he's changed a lot. He should give me. himself some credit. Yeah. 
Well, I give you guys credit for coming in here and talking about hard issues. Thanks for hanging out. <laughs> Hope everyone enjoys their weekend. It's still cold out there, but we've got blue skies and it sunshine. Feels like a which heat is really wave nice. compared to the way it was, though. Yeah, I yeah. know it hits forty degrees. You know when you go out of summer and it's forty degrees, and you're like, I just want my boots and my fur. And then forty degrees in the spring, you're like, wow, feels great. Flip flops yeah. and short shorts, yep. ready to go out and enjoy the sunshine. So go out there, get yourself some vitamin D, and thanks for joining us. 